0: Preface and Biographical Sketch from the Poems of George Murray, edited by John Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Peter. Preface and Biographical Sketch from the Poems of George Murray, edited by John Reed. Preface A great deal need not be said regarding this edition of George Murray's poems. The principle on which the selections have been made was that the book should reflect the poet's own tastes and preferences. In endeavouring to attain this end, the editor has had the constant cooperation of Miss Alice Murray, B.A. Miss Murray had in recent years been so much with her father in his literary work that she came in time to know his ways of thinking and feeling with knowledge which was brightened by affection without her aid the book could not have been prepared and it is simple justice to say that to her the credit of it in large part belongs biographical sketch george murray was born in regent square london on the twenty-third of march eighteen thirty and was the only son of mr james murray who was for years foreign editor of the london times he was a pupil at the school of dr j g Grieg, walthamstow house essex there, in eighteen forty six, he won his first literary distinction, a prize for the best English essay. Soon after he entered King's College, London, where the promise of Walthamstow was more than fulfilled. He won the chaplain's two prizes for English verse, original and translated, and the principal's prize for Latin verse. He was also awarded the Senior Classical Scholarship, and was elected Associate of King's College a k c, the highest honour which the institution conferred. At Oxford, Hertford College, he was alike successful, among his distinctions there being the Lovesby Scholarship and the Lucy Exhibition. A literary venture of his later Oxford years was the Oxford Ars Poetica, or How to Write a Newdigate, which was commendation from the Spectator, and was pronounced good by the author of the once popular Verdant Green. Among the friends of those distant years were Dean Farrar and Sir Edwin Arnold, both of whom Murray had the pleasure of meeting in Montreal long afterwards. The closeness of his early intimacy with the author of The Light of Asia is attested by the fact that a poem of Murray's was published, at Arnold's Desire, in the latter's first volume, Poems, Narrative, and Lyrical. This intimacy was renewed most happily when both poets wore crowns of silver— in eighteen ninety one george murray dedicated his verses and versions to the friend of his youth after coming to canada in the later fifties mr murray spent some years in eastern ontario or as it was then named Upper Canada, but it is with the Montreal High School that his educational career has been most frequently associated in the minds of his friends and admirers. Of that institution he had been senior classical master for more than a third of a century, when he retired on a pension in 1892. The testimonial which marked his disappearance from the classes in which he had been so long a familiar figure represented a mere fraction of the multitude of pupils who had carried into the world the memory of his voice. Some of them had risen to rank and influence in the professions, in business, in public life, but whether their position was bright or obscure they were equally dear to their old teacher, and he by them was equally unforgotten. In the latter part of his life as a teacher, some share of his time was regularly devoted to the advanced classes of the girls' high school, and some of his pupils who proceeded thence to the university did credit to his training in Latin and even Greek, as well as English. During this period Mr. Murray became well known as a writer. He contributed not only to the Montreal Press, but also to various periodicals, from Professor N. Y. Hines' British American magazine to Mr. Joseph Gould's Arcadia both of which, by the way, had succès d'estime and may still be read with advantage. It was to the earlier publication that Mr. Murray entrusted his Willie the Minor, a most pathetic poem based on a touching incident related in The Recreations of a Country Parson of the Reverend Andrew K. W. Boyd, whose initials long enjoyed the favour of many readers. For a number of years, the classical works that were sent for review to the Montreal Gazette were put into Mr. Murray's hands, and we need hardly say that his criticism was discriminating, just, and learned. Some of the older citizens of Montreal can doubtless remember the literary club, which had its focus on Cathcart Street. Of this club, which had among its members professor and vice-principal the venerable Archdeacon Leech, the Honourable Thomas Darcy McGee, Charles Heavisage, the author of Saul, and other men of Mark, Mr. Murray was the esteemed secretary. On the day of McGee's funeral, the club honoured his memory by marching in a body to the grave, every member wearing a badge of suitable device. I was not a member of the club, and had, indeed, only recently returned to Montreal, but Mr. Murray, with characteristic kindness, asked me to accept a badge, and that badge I still possess. In the year 1869 Mr. Murray won the gold medal, which the St. Andrew's Society of Ottawa had offered for the best poem on the thistle as the national emblem of Scotland mr murray had chosen as a central theme in the framework of his poem the legend of the danes wounded in their naked feet by the spines of the thistles and forced by their cries to betray themselves to the slumbering scots whose camp they were invading in apprising the victorious poet of his triumph dr thorburn who had been one of the judges informed him that he had attained no slight success many of the competing poems being of high merit and some of them, quote, "not unworthy of a place alongside," end quote, the victors. They had come from all parts of the Dominion and the United States. Many a letter did Murray receive from the Scots of the New World asking for a copy of his ballad or for the legend which formed the subject of it. One such letter from Saint Louis seemed to have been written by the secretary of a workingman's club. He and his colleagues were sincerely thankful to Murray for the trouble he had taken to put them in the way of the information which they had been seeking. How many such letters he received during his connection with the press, it would not be easy to compute. Mr. Murray's service to another society of which he was a member cannot be better unfolded than in the words of Mr. George Isles. "'My acquaintance with Mr. George Murray,' said Mr. Isles, Quote, "...began in the autumn of 1876. Three friends of his, the Reverend J. Clark Murray, Mr. J. Redpath Dougal, editor of The Witness, and Mr. Samuel F. Dawson, then the leading publisher and bookseller in Montreal, had formed a literary club, of which they decided that Mr. George Murray should be secretary. No choice could have been happier. As the sole permanent officer of the Athenium Club, he was its life and mainspring." End quote. Having emphasised Murray's unfailing kindness and invincible perseverance in the discharge of his duties, Mr. Isles thus continues, Mr. Murray's part not seldom lay in spurring a procrastinator to writing a paper long overdue. He was a master of the art of tactful pressure, a pressure without which a literary club is sure to go to pieces often too i have heard him say just the judicious word which piloted into smooth waters a discussion which threatened to become stormy so diverse indeed was the personnel of the club that at times only the compulsions of courtesy kept our debates within bounds End quote. Having mentioned some of the subjects of papers and discussions, calling special attention to an essay on The Princess by Dr. S. C. Dawson, C. M. G., ex-president of the Royal Society of Canada, which was the substance of that study, which elicited so much praise from the critics and so charming a letter from the laureate, Mr. Isles refers to some of Murray's own papers, such as Jacques Jasmin and Bacon versus Shakespeare. The Shakespeare Club was another society in which Mr. Murray for a long time took a warm interest, and to which he contributed papers. An active member of that club, Mr. S. M. Bayliss, gave me some time ago an example of the pains that his old friend would sometimes take in supplying or verifying data for other members, even when their views differed toto mondo from his own. Of his happy connection with the Pen and Pencil Club, evidence lies before me in the form of a letter from Mr. John E. Logan. Barry Dane, who was charged with the task of conveying to Mr. Murray's widow and family the club's resolution of condolence. Quote, The club, end quote, so the resolution ran, quote, desires to express its great sorrow for the death of Dr. George Murray, one of its most valued and beloved members. In addition to this sense of personal loss, which touches so closely many of the members to whom he has been an intimate friend, the club wishes to record what must be a general feeling, that a light of Canadian literature and journalism has gone out. End quote. "mr logan added on his own account that he considered it an honour to have known mr murray intimately for many years quote, "his kindness of heart" end quote, he said quote, "endeared him to us almost more than his scholarship which is known throughout the land even by those who never came in personal contact with him" End quote. Mr. Harry A. Jones, Honourable Secretary of the St. James Literary Society, and in enclosing to Mrs. Murray the resolution of deep regret which the Society had passed on learning of her husband's death, said that to many of the members the loss was directly personal. In 1882, His Excellency the Marquis of Lorne, now the Duke of Argyle, after consulting with Sir William Dawson, the Honourable P. J. O. Chavot, Sir James lemoine" Moines, sir daniel wilson and other men of standing in the intellectual world constituted the royal society of canada and four sections of twenty members each two sections were composed of men of science two others were devoted to letters history and archaeology one being composed of those speaking the french the other of those speaking the english language mr george murray was nominated to the latter section being one of the original members of the society to this institution murray presented his essay with translation of exemplary or illustrative epigrams on the greek anthology both of his criticism and his versions scholars who were present at the reading expressed a high opinion we are disposed to believe that murray cherished the hope of one day seeing his versions of the exquisite flowers of ancient song on which he had expended so much study gathered into a volume to murray's exceptional skill in giving english dress to the choicest morsels of french poetry many readers have borne delighted witness no one has described murray's gift more accurately than his friend mr e g o'connor when he says that he turns french poems into english poems had also the kindred faculty, which is not so common as some persons suppose, of recognizing a true poem in another language as well as in English. Without this faculty it would be idle for even the most learned of Grecians to approach the anthology, to extract what is really sweet and sound and fair from that wondrous miscellany, a certain cultured instinct is essential. A great deal must not, a great deal need not be touched. Whole sections may be let severely alone. Having thus made his clearings, the master begins his task, his most delicate task, of transforming Greek verse into English verse, Greek epigram into English, still preserving the poetic flavor. Just a hint of what Murray could accomplish in this genre of the poet's work is afforded by the cluster of English and Greek epigrams in this volume. They are Murray's own choice. In a most sympathetic and appreciative notice of Mr. Murray, which appeared in the Transactions of the Royal Society of Canada for the year of his death, the Honorary Secretary, now Vice President, Dr. W. D. LeSueur, after referring to Mr. James Murray's rare knowledge of languages, said that quote, from him his son, our late colleague, may well have inherited the great interest in language as an instrument of thought and culture, which through life he manifested. End quote. Then, after briefly recording his earlier career, Dr. Lesterre thus summarizes his half-century of life in Montreal, Quote, Mr. Murray's first journalistic connection in Montreal was with the Gazette, for which he wrote book reviews. He also contributed to a number of literary journals which sprang up successively in that city and having had their day ceased to be. A more permanent connection was that which he formed with the Star in the year 1882, when he took charge of the literary department of that paper, including the Notes and Queries, a department which he made famous. Here he had found an occupation which lasted the rest of his life, for up almost to the day of his death he was writing for the Star. His last work appeared in the issue of the 26th of February, and also for The Standard, a literary journal which had its birth in the Star establishment, and which in a manner was brought out under his literary auspices, the company which controlled it, and of which Murray was made president, being called the George Murray Publishing Company. His page in the Star at once won popular favour. His book reviews were fair, moderate, judicious, and often very telling, while in the management of his notes and queries he exhibited a wealth of knowledge— and a patience and kindliness in imparting it, which were wholly admirable. He was made the arbiter of countless disputes as to modes of speech, rules of grammar, and historical and literary questions of all kinds. Even in matters of which he was not especially master, he would generally contrive to obtain for his correspondence the information they required. The classical master in the high school thus became a schoolmaster for thousands who never saw his face, and so gentle and kindly were his methods that one is led to believe that he must have done much to cultivate a similar temper amongst those who were thus brought within the sphere of his intellectual influence. Of the many tributes of affection and admiration paid to Murray's memory, one of the most pathetic appeared in the Winnipeg Free Press. It had been written by his true friend, Mr. George Isles, in anticipation of Murray's eightieth birthday. March twenty-third, nineteen ten, knowing that his friend had old pupils in the West Countries, Mister. Isles reminded such of them as were readers of the Free Press of a building which some of them had twofold associations, quote, facing Saint James's Club in Dorchester Street, Montreal. End quote, he wrote, quote, "Is the Fraser Institute Library? It was in this plain brick building, only two stories in height, that the high school was formerly conducted." Here George Murray, from 1859 to 1892, was a senior classical master, inspiring a long succession of pupils with a measure of his own love for Horace and Virgil. Many a Canadian now famous at the bar, in medicine, in engineering, dates his zest for literature from the days when he construed and recited under Mr. Murray's eye. Let us pay him our respects.' which we may easily do, as his home is only a few paces off, at 11 Brunswick Street. He greets us as cheerily as if he were but sixty. On the twenty-third of March he will celebrate not his sixtieth, but his eightieth birthday. We have interrupted him at the notes and queries which are to appear in next Saturday Star, as they have for thirty years past. Mr. Murray is a gentleman of the old school, and no interruption such as this affects his perfect courtesy, or chills in the slightest degree the warmth of his welcome. End quote. Quote, We note that he is surrounded by a capital library, its volumes, two and three deep, spread from shelves to tables and chairs. Here is every dictionary in concordance with having, all drawn upon every day for the behoof of correspondents who wish to verify a quotation, trace a couplet to its source, or learn the date of a discovery, a coronation, or other historic event. But much the most valuable store of knowledge for reference here is contained in Mr Murray's own marvellous memory. "'Odes and sonnets committed to its tablets in his youth "'are to-day recalled as vividly and accurately "'as if impressed but an hour ago.'" Mr. Isles then speaks of the old pupils or colleagues in journalism who had written books and were proud of inscribing them to him whom they delighted to honour. Of such marks of love and esteem he made no attempt to conceal his appreciation. There is one dedication which has carried Murray's name to many households in the old lands and the new, and how sadly one reads it now that both Drummond and Murray are gone from us. Of the wealth of tender memories evoked by the announcement of Murray's death, the most salient attribute was its spontaneousness. Few men or women have been so warmly, so widely loved. Nor was it merely because, as the Reverend Dr. Robert Campbell said, the whole country was indebted to him the bounty of knowledge does not always gain the devotion of the heart between learning and kindly simplicity there is no necessary divorce and yet they are not always mated as they were in murray's happy composition he liked to place her gifts and acquirements at the disposal of others. Mr. David Ross McCord, M. A. K. C., did not cherish the enthusiastic appreciation of Murray's qualities, intellectual and moral, without reason, and Mr. McCord spends his life in spiritual contact with the quote, great one gone, end quote. Dr. F. W. Kelly and Mr. F. Yorston spoke of his worth, each as a fellow worker in a department of life's duties. The Reverend Principal Rexford... Mr. R.C. Smith, K.C., Mr. Henry Dalby, Dr. MacPhail, and many others expressed from diverse points of view their judgment of the friend whom they had lost. The Reverend Dr. Simmons, out of a full heart, paid a warm tribute to the friend with whom he had spent so many hours in happy converse. It would be easy to add to the list of Murray's friends whose lips or pen grew eloquent over their silent friend, but I forbear, knowing scarcely where to choose— Not long since, in turning the leaves of a volume entitled Great Hymns of the Church, my attention was drawn to the name of George Murray in a footnote. The author, the Reverend Duncan Morrison, M.A., thanked him for reference to a valuable work in which he found the suggestion of a new and ingenious reading of a verse in the Te Deum. This was only one instance in which... Mr. Murray of the Star, Montreal, as the obliged terminologist qualifies him, was able and willing to be of service to fellow workers in letters, philology, antiquities, and folklore. Some of his replies in his much prized and widely read column, which he began just thirty years ago, were learned monographs that in their way were invaluable. One of the most painstaking of such productions was his Police Verso article, which was prompted by the mistake of a famous painter but it was in conversation with intimate friends that Murray's best qualities were disclosed. If the scene was in his own little study in the midst of his well-chosen treasures, it was indeed a privilege to ask and be answered. George Murray was in a peculiarly felicitous sense what Johnson called a clubbable man. On that point the evidence is large and unimpeachable. But he was also, in quite as real a sense, a domestic, a family man. He loved his home, and in his home he was beloved, as few men have been beloved. In 1859 he married Miss Catherine Flora McLaughlin. He lived to celebrate the jubilee of his wedding day. In the retrospect there was much happiness, not without human life's share of sorrow. The second boy, Herbert, was fatally injured in the old high school playground. The eldest boy, Russell, died in the midst of a fairly successful career. The survivors are two sons, Mr. G. William Murray of New York and Mr. Frederick Murray of Oxbow, Saskatchewan, and four daughters, Mrs. Gordon Stott of Chandersford, Hampshire, England, Mrs. W. J. Bland of Portland, Oregon, Miss Alice Murray and Miss Louise Murray. Two years ago, just after George Murray's death, a true friend of his wrote the words... Quote, there may be a cypress today within the garden of laurels at number eleven Brunswick Street, but there are early spring violets also, and their perfume will last so long as respect for a great scholar and for a sympathetic heart controls human emotions. Today we would think only of the laurels as we scent the violets. John Reed. End of preface and biographical sketch.